Hey, I'm Kendall. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good evening, everybody. Nice to see you tonight. Glad to be together. If you got a Bible, let's grab those together and open them up to a book in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter number 4 is where we're going to spend some time tonight. Glad to be here with you. Glad to be able to open God's Word with you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, share with someone that's sitting next to you, or uh, you can take out your smartphone. If you got a phone, you can download a Bible app or the River Church app if you know how to do that. I'm getting to the age where technology is scaring me. Now, some of you are older than me, so I don't know if you've reached that point yet, but I had a long conversation today with a guy on our staff about AI, uh, and... Um, it scared me to death. I thought I was limited in the Terminator movie. Uh, I was just like, what in the heck is going on? Just a weird world. But anyways, good to see you tonight. Glad to be able to open the scripture with you tonight. Justin asked me to kind of help launch this series as you are tonight, uh, launching a series over the next couple weeks on prayer. And over uh, the last few weeks as a church, just across all locations, we have been preaching through the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And so I know you'll get some of that in the next couple of weeks. But I want to take you to one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 14, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter number 4, in verse number 14. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's a lot of misunderstandings about prayer. Some people think I need to be in a particular physical posture to pray. So I need to be on my knees or uh, for me, I always struggle with, do my eyes have to be closed when I'm praying? I'll go through the drive through and I will close one eye so I get at least half credit from the Lord, right? That's kind of a silly thing, but like for me, often praying means closing your eyes, right? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, maybe growing up for you, you were Catholic, and so uh, a prayer was a particular prayer that you learned. It was um, you know, something you learned in catechism or something you heard your grandma pray or something you saw on the wall of your house. And so when we come to prayer, we all come with this different perspective of prayer. Sometimes we even think there are more sacred places to pray. Like I could pray in my car but probably it would be more effective if I pray inside of a church. Then not just inside of a church, but if I go and I pray at the altar, then man, that, that prayer is especially going to be heard by God because God's, you know, there, he's in the building, he's kind of in the parking lot, but I don't know if he's anywhere else. So I got to be in a specific location to pray. 
And, and we laugh at those things, but sometimes we think those things. Or sometimes we think about prayer. Man, I haven't done really anything good today. I probably should do something good first and then pray after that. It's like, I'm going to do this thing over here, butter up God a little bit, and then I'll pray, and that will increase my chances you know, to get there. We treat God often, sadly, like Santa Claus. Like, uh, if I stay on the nice list, stay off the naughty list, do a few good things, Christmas time comes, I go give him my list, and I can be certain that on December 24th, I'll go to sleep, December 25th, I'll wake up, and Santa or God will have answered all of my demands or my requests, because I was good, and there were other people who weren't good, so of course I'm clearly deserving. And so often prayer becomes this little exchange with God, this little trade-off with God. I'll do my part, you do your part, God. And really, a lot of the ways that we understand prayer and then the ways that we pray are not really biblical at all. So let me just cut through some myths here before we get started. You don't need to be in this building to talk to the Lord. This is not a church. This is just a building. The church is the people of God. So we don't go to church. We, we are the church. Now, I like this building. I got a lot of special memories in this building. But this is just a building. Now, I got a lot of things when I think about the altar. If you grew up like me, the altar was at the front of the stage. And you would go and you'd pray there. A lot of precious times with the Lord at something called an altar. But the fact is, you don't need to be at an altar to get in touch with the Lord. And you don't even need to be on your knees. And as weird as it is for me, you don't even have to have your eyes closed or one eye closed. Now, here's a crazy thing. You can have your hat on or you can have your hat off. You can be standing, you can be sitting, you can be lying down. The physical posture of your body really has no bearing on prayer. What matters is is the heart. And as we're going to see here in a moment, I just want to start with just a real basic thing. And I'm sure that over the next few weeks, you'll see these passages and these principles. But we need to start with what makes prayer possible. What makes it possible? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is dealing with here in verse number 14. He says, since then, so because of this, we have a great high priest. Now, when I hear the word priest, maybe you hear the word priest, instantly you might think a Catholic priest, but that's not what's being talked about here at all. What's being talked about is a position in the Jewish community, again, this book being written to the Hebrews, they would have understood a lot of the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament stories. There were the priests, but there was a specific priest called the high priest. And once a year, the high priest was allowed to go into a place called the Holy of Holies. It was where the presence of God literally was. It's a place where there were some different pieces of furniture, one of them being the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant was there, and, and the presence of God would descend upon the Ark of the Covenant between these two golden angels, and the high priest would be able to go in there once a year on a day called the Day of Atonement. Or sometimes you'll see it on the calendar called Yom Kippur. That was the day that the high priest could go in there. And the high priest, there's some different legends around it, that they would tie a rope around the foot or the ankle of the high priest just in case he wasn't clean. 
There were all of these particular, um, um, the, the outfit he had to wear, these washing and cleansings he had to do before he went in there. But if the high priest wasn't right with God, they just thought, well, no one else can go in there, so we better tie that rope around him. If he drops dead in the presence of God, we'll be able to pull him out underneath the curtain or the veil. So once a year, this high priest was allowed to go in, and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And that's what he would do every single year on the Day of Atonement. Now, the Bible says here in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest. Now, not a human high priest, but a great high priest. And the Bible says who has passed through the heavens. Now, if you read or you see pictures about the tabernacle, which was the tent of meeting that later became a permanent structure called the temple, the priests, that's where they functioned. And that's what they took care of. And that's where they did the sacrifices and all the different things happened. And that's where that place called the Holy of Holies was. Well, the scripture tells us in Hebrews that that is a copy of the real thing in heaven. Meaning that's where God's presence is. But none of us are good enough, strong enough, fast enough, holy enough to get into the presence of God. And so that priest, God would allow that priest, that high priest, once a year to go in on a specific day, dressed a certain way, doing a specific thing. If he broke any of those rules, dead. Well, the Bible says that we have a great high priest and he's passed through into the heavens. He didn't go through a, 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 a building made by humans. He didn't go through a curtain that was protecting the general area of the priest from this sacred area called the Holy of Holies. He didn't go into just a place where God descended. He went into the very presence of God in heaven. And how he did that was he was both the high priest and the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus on the cross lays down his life for you and I. And he pays the penalty for our sin. And so he's the great high priest, but he's also, the scripture says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so in doing so, Jesus pays the penalty for our sins. And this is the ultimate day of atonement. He's atoning for, he's paying for sin. And so Jesus dies on the cross and he rises from the dead. And what does he do? He ascends into heaven. He goes into the presence of God. Then the Bible says there he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, meaning he's secure in his position. Now, let me tell you, that act and that act alone is what makes prayer for you and I even possible. One of the miracles that happened at the cross is there was this gigantic curtain. I alluded to it a moment ago. It was this massive curtain. When I was a kid, I used to picture it like a shower curtain. I know it's a weird thing. And so I thought, oh, this a little shower curtain. Well, historians tell us that it was this massive curtain, multiple inches thick, and it took 450 priests to hang the curtain, what's called sometimes the veil. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the veil was torn in half from the top to the bottom. When I was a kid, I thought a shower curtain getting torn from the top to the bottom. Well, that's kind of a weird thing. Maybe an earthquake did that. Maybe something accidentally tripped and fell and knocked it over. But when you think about a curtain multiple inches thick that took hundreds of priests to hang, 
It tore not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom, meaning what? God had sent the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin, to tear that veil. So guess what? Who gets to go into the Holy of Holies? It's not just one priest once a year from a particular family, dressed a certain way, acting a certain way, following all of these different particular rituals and rites Guess who gets to go into the presence of God? Anyone who comes through Jesus Christ. That's what makes prayer possible. So we need to keep that in our mind because here's what we think. We try to play these deals with God. Well, if I'm a good person, if I don't do this, if I stop doing this, then God will hear my prayers. Our behavior, our merit, Our vocabulary, our posture physically doesn't make prayer possible. What makes prayer possible is there in verse 14, our great high priest, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the son of God. So I need you to hear this tonight and see this next phrase here. He says, let us hold fast our confession, meaning our declaration of Christ Jesus is Lord. Now, I want you to hear this. Prayer is only possible through Jesus Christ. Only. Now, this may rattle you a little bit, but there's no other way. There's, there's no other connection. See, God is holy and we are not and we need a mediator. And um, a pastor can't mediate because a mediator has to equally represent both sides. Right? We know that from mediation. I mean, I think about it with, you know, my, my, my oldest daughter got married earlier this year. And so I now have a son-in-law. He's a nice guy, but you know what? I don't like him. I feel obligated not to like him. Right? No, he's a nice guy, and I guess I have to like him. I don't know. Anyways, if you have a son-in-law, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, you married my daughter. I, I don't like you. You, t- you took my daughter away from me. You're a real jerk, you know? But anyway, so my son-in-law. So let's just imagine a scenario where my my daughter and my son-in-law come to me and say, hey, we're having a marital disagreement. We need you to mediate. Guess what? I can't mediate. It doesn't matter. I'm always going to take her side. Right? She could be in the wrong, and I'd be like, no, she's right. You're an idiot. Right? I can't equally represent both sides. But what does Jesus do? He is holy, and he is God And yet he became man. And he can equally represent both sides. And he can mediate, the Bible says, a new covenant. And so he bridges this gap that you and I cannot bridge on our own. So the only way we're able to speak to a holy God is through Christ. So here's what you have to settle in your brain right now. Is that your confession? Is that your declaration? 
Anything else is not prayer. Anything else, you're, you're just talking into air. The only way we get to talk to a holy God and come to, as we'll see in a moment, His throne of grace is through His only begotten Son. It won't be because of our goodness. It won't be because of a religious place we're at. It won't be because of um, a good work. It will only be because we have confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. Then we are saved. Then we are able to speak to a holy God because of Christ's work, his atoning work on the cross. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? That's the most important thing that you have to settle. Otherwise, there's no possibility of prayer. What makes prayer possible is the high priest. Look at verse number 15. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So here's, here's the idea. We're human and fallen and God is holy and we have this mediator who equally represents both sides. And this is the beauty of God sending his only begotten son to become a man, to become a human. That he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, meaning he's able to understand our weaknesses. Things like we see this in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see Jesus being alone. We see Jesus being anxious. We see Jesus being hungry. We see Jesus being homeless. We see Jesus encountering all of these different emotions and spaces that you and I often have to live in. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned. He's able to sympathize with your weakness. The Bible says not only is he able to sympathize with our weakness, but the Bible says there, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Think about this. You ever try to talk to someone who just doesn't get it? They, just, they don't understand what you're going through. Now, I don't, I don't want to do this because I don't want to create necessarily any distance between you and I. But I don't know what it's like to be addicted to a substance. That's, that's never been a thing for me. So I was upstairs wrapping up a couple things. And I, my wife and I, who's here, this is my wife Jennifer, she's great. I pointed at Bill. That is not my wife over there. That's a couple rows back. We were listening to some of you talk about how many days and months you've been clean. We were blessed by that to hear the Lord's work in your life. How encouraged were you to hear other people are maybe a little further behind you or a little further ahead of you in the journey? Isn't it just great to find someone who understands? That's what the point of the passage is. Jesus understands. He, he understands. 
He gets what's going on. He knows what it's like to be tempted. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus being tempted. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to turn there for my own point of reference. In Matthew chapter number 4, we see Jesus being tempted. And it's three major temptations. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, was alone in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him and says, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Now, could Jesus have miraculously turned rocks into bread? 100%. Would have been the best bread ever made on planet Earth. He could have done that. But the temptation was, if you are the Son of God, Jesus responds, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. Satan then takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. I was in Jerusalem in 2017. We were walking around the temple mount. And there was this big, like, L-shaped rock on the ground that we had to walk around. And the guide literally said, that's the pinnacle of the temple. Okay, everybody, keep moving. No joke. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that used to be up there, but it fell down in 70 AD, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this is the pinnacle of the temple, everybody. This this is Matthew chapter 4. It says, Jesus and Satan went up to the pinnacle of the temple. Satan said, throw yourself down. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. You won't get harmed. The angels will catch you. Everybody will see it. It'll be this awesome thing. Jesus said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Satan takes him to this high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of this world, said, I'll give you all these kingdoms, you just bow down before me. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and, only, and him only shall you serve. He faced these major temptations. And each temptation was different, but the weapon of defense was the same. Great English preacher in the 1800s pointed that out, Charles Spurgeon. He said, each time Satan attacks with a different looking temptation, but the weapon to defend against or defeat that temptation never changed. It was the same. Every time Jesus says, it is written, meaning the word of God, he, he says, no, 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 that's not true. This is true because God has declared it to be true in the scripture. It is written. So when we look at this passage in Hebrews chapter number four, we have a high priest. This makes prayer possible if we have confessed him as Lord and Savior. And here's the beautiful thing. He understands our weaknesses. So what can we do? We can bring our weaknesses to Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I think cell phones provide a really interesting illustration about prayer. Sometimes we think prayer is like, I'm going to call God. Hopefully he's not too busy. He didn't answer. I got voicemail. Do do I really want to leave a voicemail with the Lord? 
No, he's so busy. I'm, I'm sure he gets a lot of voice messages from people. You know what? I'll just shoot him a quick text. Hey, Lord, I just want to text you. And he doesn't text back. That's our imagination, right? And we're like, oh, the Lord is just so busy. I, don't want to, I just don't want to give him too much to think about. He's got all these people. I know there are much bigger concerns in the world, right? There's starvation and war and famine and this, that, and the other. And my little thing, not a big deal. I won't bring that to God. And what that is, is that is missing out on understanding the character of God. And he says, bring all your cares to me because I care for you. What's nagging at you, what's weighing heavy on you, God says, I care about. Bring that to me. I care about you. A super tender understanding of who the Lord is. But what's great is we can bring it to him and say, Lord, this is bothering me. And then the Lord can speak to us and say, hey, do you remember in the Gospels when I went through something in the same way? And now we're saying to the Lord, that's right, Lord, you know what I'm, you know what I'm feeling. You know what's nagging at me. You know the pain. You know the confusion. You know the stress of this. Lord, you understand my weaknesses. Then we can bring to the Lord our temptation and say, Lord, I'm being tempted. And the Lord can say, I know what it's like to be tempted. Here's the weapon to defeat that temptation. It's the word of God. It's the scripture. Now, sometimes we get prideful and we get arrogant and think, okay, a scripture, that's a good defensive weapon. Let me see if I can find some other ones. There is no other one. The way to defeat temptation from the devil, we see it from the Lord, is the word of God. Let's look at the passage, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. But here's what's different about Jesus than us. Yet he is without sin. I love this passage. The Lord put it on my heart as I was driving down here. Psalm 61.2. I think David has that. This just blessed me. 61.2 says, From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Meaning, if I'm finding someone who's just like me, that's not going to help me. I need someone that is higher than me. I, I need someone that is above me. This level isn't safe. I, I need someone who's higher. And who is that? That is the Lord. That is Christ. So he is tempted as we are, yet without sin. So look at verse 16. Because of this possibility of prayer, this confession, who the Lord is, he understands our weaknesses, he understands temptation. Let us then, with confidence, confidence, not pride, not arrogance, not insecurity, but because of Christ, with confidence, Draw near to the throne of grace. Can I tell you my favorite word there in verse 16 is the word throne. And here's why. Sometimes we forget who we're talking to. There's a, there's a real casual way of thinking about God as the man upstairs. Well, if he's just the guy upstairs, that's not very inspiring. But the Bible says he's our high priest. He's passed in 
to the heavens. He's secure. We've confessed that he is Lord. We've believed in our heart that he did, in fact, die and rose from the dead. We're we're now born again. And now we know that our Savior empathizes, understands our weaknesses. He also understands what it's like to be tempted, yet he's without sin, so he's higher than us. We're able to be inspired by his example, strengthened by his example, follow his example. So because of those things, the writer of Hebrews says, let us then draw near with confidence. Like, with confidence, we can come to the throne of grace. Now grace meaning unmerited favor, but here's the fabulous thing about a throne. A throne means that he's powerful. A throne means that he rules and reigns. A throne means he's got a lot of endless resources and the resources are grace. Guess what I need? I need a lot of grace. And what does the Bible say? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. David says, a broken and contrite heart you will not reject. Meaning when we pray, God is rejecting us when we're praying like the Pharisee in Luke 18. God, thank you that I'm not like other men. He looks around and he says, thank you I'm not like this loser over here. Extortioners, adulterers, and man, this tax collector over here. Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I fast and I do all these things. And then the prayer just kind of ends abruptly. Why? Because he's basically saying to God, God, I just wanted to stop by for a minute and say, You are lucky to have me. I'll see you later. Now you say, Well, I would never pray like that. I hope not. It's ridiculous to pray like that. But sometimes we pray, saying, God, let me tell you, before I ask some things, a few good things I've done for you. And guess what that is? The same exact thing. Prayer that begins focused on us is not biblical prayer. The model prayer begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, exalted, revered is your name. It begins focused on the Heavenly Father, not on you and me. So what do we do? Because of Jesus, we come with confidence to the throne of grace, humbly so that we can receive grace. Look at the passage, verse 16. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't know about you, But I have a lot of needs. Now, I have a lot of wants, too, right? We all have wants and needs. And sometimes we'll say, I need something. And what we really mean is, I want that, not I need that. But I have a lot of needs, like genuinely needs. Anybody else say, man, I, I got a lot of needs, right? So where do we take those needs? Do we take them to ourself? Do we take them first to a friend? We take them to a pastor? We take them to a church? We take them to a priest? We take them somewhere else? As a believer, if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, he is your great high priest. He is securely 
seated next to the throne of the Father. He is interceding for you and I. He's the perfect mediator. mediator, mediator. He equally represents both sides. He understands temptation. He understands weakness. So guess what? Because of Christ's work on the cross, we can confidently go to the throne of grace. And guess what? That throne of grace is not going to run out of grace for you. And so we can receive grace and mercy in time of need. I got great need. Now, if you don't have any needs, when you're in that spot and you look at your life and go, I don't need anything, pray for me specifically, okay? Because I have lots of needs. Now, hopefully, you never do that because you recognize humbly you have needs. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need grace. Lord, I need mercy. Not just for me, but I need mercy for people around me. I I need grace to forgive. I I need mercy because that person's driving me crazy, Lord. And I need to see that that they are made in your image. I need mercy, Lord. And so I come to your throne to receive mercy and grace so I can dole out mercy and grace. That's what prayer is. Prayer is made possible by the work of Christ on the cross. And unless you're praying through Jesus, you're not really praying. You can call it prayer all you want, but it's not. There's not lots of different ways to get to God. There's only one way to get to God, and that includes not just salvation, but that includes prayer. And so we can rest that we have a Savior who understands our weakness, who understands your temptation, who understands my temptation, And when we're in those moments, we can race with confidence to the throne of grace that we can receive mercy and grace in times of need. That's what prayer is. So here's what I would encourage you with maybe to just end. God is not looking for you to try to impress him in prayer. I remember being a little kid And down the hallway here, it used to be room 27. I don't know what room it is anymore, but that's where 30 years ago we had prayer meeting. And I remember going to prayer meeting one time as a little kid, and these old guys were praying. And by old guys, I mean they were probably like 42, you know. And uh, I'm 42, that's what I'm saying. Like, you see your perspective's all off. Look at all these geezers over here, you know, they're 35. Uh, But you're still a little kid, you don't know that stuff. And I just remember him praying, you know, these booming voices, you know, oh, omnipotent father. And I thought, whoa. So, you know, what I'm doing over there during prayer time, I'm thinking, okay, what's the biggest words I know? <laughs> I am going to blow these guys away with my biblical vocabulary. That's not prayer. That's your eyes closed, pretending to talk to God, giving a speech. God doesn't care about your big words or your small words. God doesn't care about your grammar. David says, a broken and contrite spirit you will not reject. Meaning when you come to God and you say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you came to save sinners. And so, Lord, I I just, I know that it's possible for me to talk to you because of Jesus. And I have needs. 
Lord, I'm, I'm struggling in this relationship. I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm struggling financially. I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm afraid I'm going to go back to this sin that has destroyed and hurt me and so many people that I love. Lord, I don't know what to do. Sometimes our prayers are real ugly. Sometimes we are so broken in prayer that it doesn't end with a nice amen. If you read the Psalms, you see often a prayer is calling out to God and saying, what's up? And the writer of Psalms says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Like, God, have you forgotten me? How long are you going to ignore me? I don't get what's going on. So our prayers really aren't neat and tidy. Our prayers are coming confidently because of Christ and bringing our hurts and pains and confusion and sorrow, all of that to the Lord. And just laying it at his feet and go, God, I'm a mess. This is a mess. Here it is. I'm not going to pretend that I'm anything different than that. I hope that that's how you'll pray. And I hope you won't feel forced to to pray in fake ways. That because of Jesus, you have a heavenly father who loves you, cares for you, and knows you. Knows your weaknesses, knows your temptations. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for tonight. Each of these men and women here. Lord, as we open your word tonight, we... I am thankful for the gospel that at this moment I being a a puny lowly sinner can speak to you God the creator of the universe because of Christ It's, it's almost laughable Lord to think about because it's so crazy but I thank you that you've made that possible Lord, I pray for these folks here tonight. You would encourage them. For those who are lost, you would save them. God, and in our times of need, we will not be self-reliant, but we will race with confidence to your throne, humbly, to declare our need, our reliance on you. Thank you for this privilege, Lord, to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing and worship the Lord.